Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. We have just been through this partial federal government shutdown. Partial. (laughs) You might say discretionary. And the Trump, the Donald, I should say, the Donald got trumped by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. The Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is many things, not referring to her being Congresswoman, Democrat Congresswoman from California. Uh, the Democrat Party enjoying a stranglehold on the state of California, among other places. But she's many things in terms of her abilities, her talents. Intelligent woman, talented woman. And she is an extremely experienced politician or political hack, if you prefer. She knows her way around the halls of power in Washington, D.C., not only in Congress. And the Donald was outwitted. He was winging it as usual and trying to accomplish an end via this so-called government shutdown, federal government shutdown. But he failed, and he bailed, and he turned tail and ran, if you will. He did not stick to his guns, but then he was, in fact, in point of fact, not in the right. <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi, even though she will do most anything if she feels the need to do so, she, nonetheless, she took the high ground here. And her argument at the root, at the base, at the foundation was you do not shut down the federal government of the United States of America to accomplish something with regard to policy, to achieve a policy objective. You don't shut down the federal government for that. Donald Trump did attempt to do that. And when he saw that he was suffering in public opinion much more than he had anticipated or he imagined, he did an about-face. Now, mind you, this about-face is supposedly only for a three-week period. He spun it and what have you. It's only for three weeks, and it's only to provide relief 
for these people who are not receiving their pay and so forth. And then, <laughs> then back to the races if uh, his objective is not accomplished. But it's not going to be accomplished this way. I understand him pulling out all stops to try to accomplish this because of recognizing that the House of Representatives is now in the hands of the opposition party, which will be not only obstructionist, but activist, (laughs) and will not be participating in some kind, gentle, loving, bipartisan fashion with Team Trump. It's not going to happen. So I understand a certain sense of desperation there on the part of the president. But I also totally agree with what Nancy Pelosi said. (laughs) Not It's not a core belief of hers, but what she said, that you do not shut down the government of the United States over a matter of policy, for a policy objective, to accomplish a policy objective. But even though she says that, again, if she were in a position where she felt that was the only option she had, the only remedy she had, the only trump card she had to play, and she were in a position to do that. She were able to do that. I have no doubt whatsoever that she would do that. (laughs) Even though... Of course, she would have us believe otherwise and so forth. One thing that transpired here was that we had, again, an evidence of the evil party and the stupid party. And Donald Trump so perfectly and vividly embodies the stupid party, regardless of him continually protesting that he is so smart. Do you remember back when he was running for president? It may seem like a long time ago, but do you remember back when he was running for the nomination and then running for president in the general election? He kept protesting about how smart he was. He was so smart that he had to keep trying to persuade people that he was smart, right? And not just smart, but so smart. Remind me a little bit of the campaign on behalf of, ironically, his opponent, Hillary Rodham Clinton, who managed to get this whisper campaign going years and years and years ago that she was the smartest woman on the face of the earth. (laughs) (laughs) for her and Donald Trump to square off being the smartest people in the room, you know, the smartest people that there are. 
Uh, it's it's quite something. But anyway, Nancy Pelosi outsmarted the president, which I do not think is exactly a monumental task, but nonetheless, she did. And it is ironic about how fortunes have changed because such a very brief time ago, uh, there was a major movement to overthrow her as the presumptive Democrat Speaker of the House, that she was old and not effective and all these other things. Well, she's as sharp as ever and as tough as ever and a political hack <laughs> and Democrat political hack. And she is a bare-knuckled brawler, even though a beautiful woman, outwardly, now 78, and still a beautiful woman. I'm sure there are those who would disagree, but such is the Donald. But Donald has a, an expiration date for his beauties. You know, it doesn't matter that he's married the most beautiful of women, you know, when they reach their expiration date, it's time for a new one, right? <laughs> and that's why, of course, he has been dallying with others uh, in the meantime. But concerning government shutdown, so-called government shutdown, and how major a matter that is, how... <laughs> how careful one should be about bringing about such a thing as that. Just case in point, the matter of the air traffic controllers who let it be known immediately. This is just prior to Donald Trump president, you know, pulling back on... (laughs) reneging on his promises, his vows to keep this going for years if necessary. The government shutdown, partial government shutdown. But anyway, the air traffic controllers let it be known that it was a very, very dangerous situation that staffing at air traffic control facilities was already at a 30-year low. And the only way that the controllers who were present were able to maintain operations was by working overtime, including 10-hour days, six-day work weeks, in an incredibly intensely stressful job. And uh, (laughs) anyway, they let it be known that it really was at a crisis point and that in the interest of public safety, it was imperative that that partial shutdown of the federal government come to an end 
that the shutdowns cease. Another case in point is with regard to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, which I saw a story on just in the past month that it was the number one rated, recommended travel destination. (laughs) And in fact, a place that I would be interested in going, by all means. But guess what? Puerto Rico is suffering under a siege of gangland violence, which up until now had been confined to darkness, nighttime hours. Now it's out in the bright light of day. People being gunned down by gangsters, by gang members. And what do you imagine that that's attributable to? Well, there are a number of reasons for it. Just as in the United States of America, the justice system is broken. It's an injustice system. The murderers, the destroyers are not executed. Frequently, not even imprisoned. If they are imprisoned, they're imprisoned on pled-down charges. They're released early. And they are feeded with all manner of perks and benefits, such as conjugal visits, whether they are married or not, and so on and so forth. But there is no deterrent to violent crime. present in our justice system, our legal system, our law enforcement system. It's extremely arbitrary. Where vicious slaughterers who are in the act of committing heinous crimes, then when the police show up, if the police show up, They simply surrender. They're not shot. They're not killed. They they are taken into the legal system, the justice system. From whence they will be treated some way other than they should be. And yet, meanwhile, then others who are not vicious criminals, not even criminals at all, but who are fleeing from this or that are shot down, gunned down by the police. It's even though they're unarmed and what have you, it's a very strange, broken, horrendously upended, perverted excuse of a justice system here in the United States of America. Well, this kind of problem is also present in our territories, protectorates, what have you. But for instance, Puerto Rico is considered to be one of the most dangerous places in the world. But, again, what is that attributable to in addition to a broken justice system, in addition to there being no 
deterrent, no effective deterrent to violent crime, the police force is greatly contracted. As one would expect with government shutdowns. Back in 2012, so seven years ago now, Puerto Rico had 17,500 police officers. Now, it has less than 12,000. Less than 12,000, whereas before it had 17,500. It stated that no one feels secure with so many police stations closed. So many police stations closed. So many communities missing police stations, without police stations, without police forces. At night, if you go to the police station, you find it closed. These destroyers, they're now committing their atrocious crimes during daytime hours with impunity, committing murders in front of countless witnesses. They don't care who sees them. They have no fear of being arrested, much less punished. These gang members, gang bangers, they're committing these murders without any regard to how many other unintended victims are going to be killed. A former police chief, a woman, says that she is afraid to leave her house after dark. Well, for many, it's gotten to the point where they are afraid to leave their houses during the day now. But almost all of the murders in Puerto Rico are attributable to gang violence, and now it is unchecked gang violence. And that's without an official government shutdown. But perhaps you saw this little uh, story concerning National Security Advisor John Bolton. I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional. If it was unintentional, then it it really was a faux pas here by John who is a very sharp guy, but he was holding a legal pad with handwritten notes on it. He was at the press briefing, and he's holding that up against his chest, facing the press corps, which includes many photographers. Now, I don't know. I don't know if it was intentional. I happen to think it probably was intentional. But if it wasn't, it was a blunder. But 
I do. I think John uh, managed to pull the wool over the eyes of some people here and get this story out there, leak this story this way, because these photographers took these photos of this legal pad, and it says, "quote." 5,000 troops to Colombia, end quote, among the notes. It said that. So I really think it was just a covert (laughs) uh, manner of communicating something that he wanted to communicate. And this was to put pressure on Venezuela, neighbor nation. But By all means, we should send 5,000 troops to Colombia. Meanwhile, of course, we are pulling back, withdrawing 2,000 troops from Syria. And more on that in a moment. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo met with this murderous monstrous excuse of a crown prince, Saudi Arabian crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, the one who triggered the execution of one of Time's People of the Year, Time Magazine's People of the Year, Jamal Khashoggi, who was slaughtered at the Saudi consulate. Mike Pompeo, he met with the crown prince. And he had a list of problems to discuss with him with he and his father, King Salman. And among the concerns or problems that he wanted to discuss was this murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi-led blockade of Qatar, or Qatar, if you prefer, And the Saudi-led air war against rebels in Yemen, where there has come to be the among the worst of humanitarian crises in the world at this time, with a great many people starving. But, you know, it struck me, when I saw this, that he's going to be, Mike Pompeo, going to be discussing the murder of Khashoggi here with Prince Muhammad. (laughs) And he thinks he's going to get somewhere on that? Come on. Prince Muhammad was the one in charge of it, the one who ordered it. And he's going to discuss that with him? How do you discuss that with this destroyer who is for all intents and purposes now, the boss in Saudi Arabia, in most favored nation, Saudi Arabia. Our ally. 
our Islamist ally, top-of-the-heap ally, along with other, of course, Islamist allies, like dear Pakistan, Turkey, and so forth. But, yes, he's going to discuss it with him. I'm sure that will be very fruitful. I'm sure it has been very fruitful. What are you going to do? You're going to slap his wrist and say, no, 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 please don't do that anymore. Please don't murder anymore, you know, Saudi expats uh, here who have come to the United States of America who are working uh, for American businesses or business concerns or whatever, please do not murder any more of them because it makes us look bad. It puts us in a bad position. You know, after all, we want to have a great deal of important trade and more than trade, just outright support of Saudi Arabia. And it makes it difficult for us to do that if you commit atrocities like this. It puts you in a bad light, but it puts us in a bad light for being so closely affiliated with you and supportive of you, as in fact we have been in providing massive military support for Saudi Arabia, in providing state-of-the-art training for their pilots and their officers, creating, if you will, their Air Force, which is, if it is, second only to Israel in the Middle East, and not second in terms of numbers or quality of aircraft or quality of training, But, again, most favored nation, Saudi Arabia, because the United States of America just thinks Saudi Arabia is such a great place. I've commented before that evangelists, missionaries from South Korea, from the Philippines, have been summarily beheaded there in Saudi Arabia for trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, Saudi Arabia enjoys most favored nation status. Saudi Arabia, which back in 1948 and ever since, has sought to annihilate, destroy Israel, abolish the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, and annihilate the Jewish people. But, again, most favored nation, Saudi Arabia. Let's contrast that with Taiwan. But before I continue, let me say, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good within this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's wrong lacking, erring, failing, is due to me. But concerning Taiwan, Taiwan, no, we cannot arm Taiwan. That would be wrong. 
Do you remember the brouhaha concerning the Donald speaking with the leader of Taiwan? Do you remember that? It's been a while now. (laughs) And it was an international incident for him to have a phone conversation with the leader of Taiwan. Fascinating. Just fascinating. Because going back to dear old Richard Milhouse Nixon, we turned our back on Taiwan, on China offshore, (laughs) Taiwan, and we embraced the vicious, ruthless, murderous, atheist, communist Chinese regime that was responsible for having slaughtered so very, very, very many millions of its people and which continued to viciously, ruthlessly persecute the godly. Communist China, which the United States of America had warred against in the Korean War, in addition to being opposed by the Soviet Union. (laughs) Communist China, who had warred again against the United States of America during and throughout the Vietnam War. Chinese pilots. Russian weapons systems and advisors from the dear old Soviet Union. And yet, Richard Milhouse Nixon... He conferred most favored nation status on communist China. Anyone who thinks in terms of Nixon's wrongs being exemplified by the Watergate break-in and the subsequent cover-up are so completely, utterly, Totally. What is the most diplomatic way I can say this? Mistaken. But, again, communist China, our friend. Taiwan, our foe, whom we cannot arm, We cannot sell arms to, much less give them to. We cannot provide training to, though we would be charging for it, not giving it, but charging for it. We cannot do that. That would be provocative. That would provoke communist China. And so it goes. But yes, with communist China, with Saudi Arabia, with Pakistan, with Turkey, with former Soviet Union Russia, 
Sky's the limit. <laughs> well, an article that I read concerning Taiwan referenced the idea, put forth the hypothesis that Taiwan, tiny, outmanned Taiwan can win a war with China. Now, (laughs) I reject the hypothesis as being flawed. (laughs) Say the only way that Taiwan can survive a war with China, not win a war, as it was proposed, but the only way it can survive invasion from communist China is by an act of God. Yes, acts of God do happen. The United States of America is evidence of that, regardless how many reject that. But the analysis was fascinating, and <laughs> it, it's supposed, however, again, the hypothesis is flawed because the assumption was that the attack, the invasion, which is not merely hypothetical, but which will take place. It's not if, but when. But that it would happen this way or that way, and they limited what the possibilities were. And then they concluded that if communist China didn't succeed within a certain time frame that the invasion would cease and so on and so forth. They simply reject that as as being false and believe that once the attack is initiated that communist China will pull out all stops and will not cease until they have succeeded in overtaking, overthrowing Taiwan, because after all, they would lose face if they failed to. Can you imagine? Enormous, enormously populous, enormously powerful communist China with all of its state-of-the-art technology stolen from the United States of America, hacked from the United States of America, with its massive million-plus member army, can you imagine it failing to succeed in overthrowing tiny Taiwan? Yes, there are principles involved here that (laughs) uh, elements which can potentially give Taiwan a fighting chance. But the only way I see that Taiwan survives this is the same way that Israel has survived being attacked, being assaulted, 
by massive multi-million member armies of the Islamists for so long. For 70, shy of 71, for 70 years now, Israel has survived not because of superior technology, not even because of the great bravery of its fighting forces, not because of the great generalship that it has had, but rather because God Almighty has protected it. He has had a reason. He has had a purpose. His hand has been upon Israel, upon secular Jewish Israel. And his plans and purposes and promises for Israel are in his word. To me, Taiwan's ability to survive rests ultimately with God Almighty, which this hypothesis did not even take into account. Meanwhile, it is stated that a new Cold War has begun. No, not not with reference to the Russian Federation, the Putin regime. No, no, no. But most favored nation, communist China. That a new Cold War has begun. Well, it depends how you define Cold War. Communist China has succeeded in hacking, in stealing all of the most important state-of-the-art weapons breakthroughs made by the United States of America. Everything. They have just stripped the cupboards bare of everything, new and improved. (laughs) And they're able to produce these weapon systems courtesy of factories, magnificent state-of-the-art factories that have been built by American enterprise, by giants of industry in the United States of America, going back to when Richard Milhouse Nixon clinked champagne flutes there with Mao. Chairman. Mao, bloody red Mao. But so this new Cold War, it's only being recognized now. I mean, it's been going on the whole time. The United States of America has been completely oblivious to it, or most of the United States of America. Certainly there are those who (laughs) are aware, who have been aware, and who have been trying to make others aware, but this has been going on from day one, and it predated that because it <laughs> it was just a question of hot war, cold war, all right? 
But it was hot war even when the United States of America would not acknowledge that communist China was warring against it, warring against the United States of America in Vietnam, in Korea, and so forth. But anyway, this new Cold War, and I thought it was fascinating, this statement, this stunning, profound statement that was made, quote, Washington can win if it stays more patient than Beijing. Quote, Washington can win if it stays more patient than Beijing, end quote. Can win what? Can win this new Cold War, which is not new at all. But it's fascinating. If it stays more patient than Beijing, the United States of America has various different strengths in its bloodline, but patience is not one of them. (laughs) So, uh... Patience is on the side of the Chinese. (laughs) Washington, the United States of America, can win this new Cold War, which is not new at all, if, and only if, it stays more patient than the regime in communist China, which it's not going to, (laughs) it's incapable of. Meanwhile, in addition to that so-called new Cold War, there is a new... Iron Curtain, that's right, a new Iron Curtain, in addition to the bamboo curtain there for Communist China, a new Iron Curtain in the person of, not a person, but a, an enterprise, but legal definition, a person, the Russian Missile Defense Systems of today. Vladimir Putin, president for life de facto, is a despot, a tyrant, a vicious, murderous destroyer. But he's sly like a fox. He's no dumb bunny, and he is bent on more than he is given credit for. And he has seen to it that the Russian military has been, some would say resurrected. Resurrected is too strong a word, but has been greatly overhauled, renovated, renewed, increased, improved, enhanced, and what have you. And has developed all manner of outstanding new military systems. Now, some of them are (laughs) defense-focused, And many of them are focused on attack. But this premise that there is this new Iron Curtain focuses on Russian missile defense. But even within that 
heading, this defense is focused on attack, albeit counterattack, so that its attacks then can be backed up by counterattacks against counterattacks from the West. So this ring of S-400 anti-aircraft systems extends from Syria north through the borders of Eastern Europe around the Arctic Circle, around the Horn, all around Russia. And it is thought that this defense system can, in fact, blunt, prevent, stop incoming from the West, which enables Russia to go on the offense and to achieve its extremely aggressive objectives. Not to say that Russia, even as powerful militarily as it has become, while the United States of America has been terribly weakened, courtesy of Barack Hussein Obama and Bill and Hill and so forth. Not to say that Russia, even with all of that, is the great danger, ultimate danger to the United States of America, though it certainly poses a threat. Not to say that communist China, even with its vastly, vastly improved, enhanced, increased military in terms of technology, in terms of weapon systems, not to say that it poses the greatest ultimate threat, nor even that they combined pose the greatest threat to the United States of America, even though, make no mistake about it, they pose a great threat to the United States of America. But for the United States of America to imagine that it is the sole world superpower, (laughs) uh, that is folly. And speaking of folly, President Trump, Donald Trump, the Donald has stated that the, quote, the intelligence people seem to be extremely passive and naive when it comes to the dangers of Iran. Extremely passive and naive when it comes to the dangers of Iran. Perhaps intelligence should go back to school, end quote. Well, 
that's fascinating for the president, the Donald, to say that. Given that, he thinks he can be pals and buddies with bloody little dictator Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, North Korean communist regime family business, and that he can work his will with Vladimir Vlad Putin, BFF, and with Xi Jinping, president for life, actual factual president for life of communist China. But the great threat is from Iran. And his intelligence people are extremely passive and naive as in extremely passive and extremely naive. Really? (laughs) Well, I think someone there is extremely naive. Yes, someone. Uh, Not to be confused with the intelligence people. Meanwhile, in Syria, Syria, which is a place that Iran likes to operate, Syria, where the United States of America is in the midst of withdrawing 2,000 U.S. troops or thereabouts, there was a terrorist attack with credit for it claimed by ISIS. And this is, you know, weeks after Donald Trump declared victory over ISIS in the region. And interestingly enough, this plan for United States withdrawal This plan by Team Trump is a decision that his senior advisors disagreed with. His extremely passive, extremely naive senior advisors, senior intelligence advisors disagreed with. And this one... ISIS, Islamist terrorist, blew himself up in a marketplace targeting United States service people, succeeding in slaughtering 16, don't know how many were maimed and gravely injured and so forth, but succeeded in murdering 16, including four United States service members and many members of Syrian Democratic Forces. And these are the troops that have fought alongside of American forces in battles with ISIS. There was, (laughs) there will be more such evil. We should not be naive 
concerning such things, and there was a terrible, evil terrorist attack by Islamist al-Shabaab terrorists in Nairobi, Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, at this luxury hotel complex. We must not be naive nor ignorant. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.